Let me, uh, let me go ahead and release Finding the Rock to go back there with George Dossett, who uh, y'all need to lay hands on him and pray for him. He's had a rough week, but he, he looks happy. All right. And um, the rest of you that are in here with me, I'm so glad I've, I've got some of you left. There goes a whole bunch of them. But we're glad uh, they're here. I don't care where they are in the building as long as they're here. And we're going to continue through Mark. We've got a couple more weeks in Mark. And tonight, I want to focus on Mark chapter 14. And we're moving through the rest of the book. It has 16 chapters. And tonight, we're going to look at Palm Sunday week. Palm Sunday week. As a matter of fact, one day in Palm Sunday week for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we had a great Palm Sunday. I'll tell you, I, I loved it. Uh, even though it was spring break weekend and St. Patty's weekend and all that stuff, we had a good turnout. Um, house was virtually full, and uh, God really moved. A lot of people came down and gave their hearts to the Lord, and, and it was very, very precious, and we thank God for it. Uh, but this is Palm Sunday week. And so I want to uh, uh, read quickly through 11 verses in Mark 14. And let's just get a feel for a day in the week of Jesus Christ, Palm Sunday week. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of, of unleavened bread. Now the leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany. Now, some time had passed. Meanwhile means a while had gone by. And Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was uh, eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. That just sounds bad to me, but nard is nard. Amen. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, whatever, buddy. Now, if he told them to leave her alone, I guarantee you there's sometimes he tells people in your life, leave them alone. Jesus is my big bro. He's my Savior, he's my Lord, but he's also my big bro. And sometimes he'll tell somebody, leave them alone. All right, that's, that's free, I'm just throwing that in. Now, why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to but you will not always have me. She's done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now, did Jesus prophesy? Because we're discussing it tonight. Amen. All right, Father, thanks for your word. Open it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen, you're going to need this tonight. All right. It is the week of Easter. We're halfway exactly between Palm Sunday and the resurrection of Christ. And uh, Jesus' final week 
uh, is something that I think we all need to be aware of. Uh, uh, through the Scriptures, even through the book of Mark, you can pretty much tell what happened Monday through Friday in the life of Christ. And so I wanted to show you, just to give you an idea of what Jesus' final week on planet Earth before the crucifixion was like. So let's just put it up here, Marsha. And here it is, Jesus last week on Sunday, we know he entered Jerusalem for the Passover. On Monday, he walked into the temple and with a cat of nine tails and he drove them out. Cleansed the temple and said, my house will be a house of prayer. And he also cursed the fig tree on Monday. And then on Tuesday, Jesus taught all day on faith, authority. Now, this is one day of teaching for Jesus. I want you to look at these topics he taught in one day. Uh, faith, authority, the Jewish nation, taxes, resurrection, the greatest commandments. He taught on his deity, the topic of pride, the topic of giving, and predictions of the future. In one day, Tuesday was a great day of teaching from Jesus. All right, now Wednesday, and that's the one we're going to look at tonight, Mary anointed Jesus with costly perfume, and Judas cut his deal with the chief priests to betray him. I think when she broke the alabaster box over his head and anointed him with a year's worth money of money value, that perfume was, was worth a year's worth of wages. And when Jesus rebuked them for having a problem with it, I think that pushed Judas over the edge because he went out that day and he cut the deal to betray Jesus. That was on Wednesday. On Thursday, tomorrow, Jesus hosted the first Last Supper. He walked to Gethsemane. He prayed in Gethsemane. Father, if there's any other way, to do this. Show me. If I can get out of this. I don't think he was afraid of the nails. I don't think that's what made him sweat, as it were, great drops of blood on Thursday. I think it was the anticipation of being separated from the Father for the first time in all of eternity past or eternity future. He dreaded that more than the nails. No question about it. That was on Thursday. And then, of course, when he left Gethsemane, he was betrayed by Judas with a kiss, and he was arrested. Then Friday came, he was taken through kangaroo court, and he was crucified. That's the last week. Powerful week, action-packed week, drama-filled week in the life of Jesus. And I wanted, since it's Wednesday, I had my choice of all the days, and I wanted to pick Wednesday because Wednesday is so significant. It was the middle of the week. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. He was never taken by anything. He, being God, anticipated every single thing that was on the way. And he met it with courage. He met it with a, an even hand. When he broke that bread, his hands were not shaking. When he offered the cup, his hands were not trembling. He knew what was coming. But Tuesday, knowing what was coming, he dedicated the whole day to teaching. 
Man, if I know I'm dying Friday, I don't know if I'm teaching Tuesday. <laughs> Maybe I would. Maybe I would. But I'll tell you what, you'd be able to tell I was dying Friday. Amen? Not Jesus. Jesus went ahead, business as usual. I'm just going to teach, and I'm going to spend each day to its fullest. And so even with that, he's a great example to you and to me. Now, uh, I want to look at his last Wednesday. Mark 14 opens up with Jesus surrounded with people uh, who were there with a grateful heart because of what he had done for them. Now, the word is pretty clear, and, and it's easy to surmise a few things. Here's what we do know. On this Wednesday, when Jesus was eating uh, with several people there, he was at the house of Simon the leper. Now, the only reason the Bible calls him Simon the leper is to distinguish him from Simon Peter and all the other Simons that were around. It's like around here. We get more and more Jeffs all the time. Lately, you say Jeff, five people turn around and look at you. And there were all kinds of Simons around. And so they just called him Simon the leper, but he was actually Simon the former leper because Jesus had healed him of his leprosy. And so this, this uh, dinner, this, this meal is taking place at a, a man's house who has everything in the world to thank God for. I mean, he was terminal and cast out of society and loathed and avoided. And Jesus came and healed him. So Simon the leper invited him into his house, and Jesus went. He wasn't too high and mighty to eat with you. And that's what I love about Jesus. He was touchable. He was approachable. He was, he was a, a hands-on Messiah. He wasn't too good for you. Now, so you've got him there, and I believe, in everything that I've read about this meal, I believe that this meal was taking place to celebrate the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Because this meal was shortly after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Lazarus being raised from the dead happened right before the first Palm Sunday. They were gabbing about it at, at the first Palm Sunday, at the Passover. They were, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead was the talk of the town. As a matter of fact, many people went there to the Passover to get a, a glimpse of the man who had been raised from the dead. So they were there for that. And so we know that just a couple of weeks later, here's Simon holding this meal, and we know that Mary, Lazarus' sister, was there. I think it was a celebration over Lazarus being raised from the dead. I'm going to surmise something. I suspect he was there. Why should I not? His sister is there to anoint Jesus with an extremely expensive bottle of perfume. What was she thanking him for? I think bro was sitting right there, raised from the dead. The Bible says the chief priests were trying to kill him. They wanted to kill the miracle. That's why when Jesus gives you a miracle... Don't be surprised if the devil tries to kill it. He'll try to kill your miracle. He'll try to kill God's answer to your prayer. He doesn't want Jesus getting the glory for what he did in your life. Lazarus raised from the clammy dead after four days in the tomb. 
No wonder the chief priests were trying to kill him again. Because he was, he was an example and a testimony that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or a charismatic leader. He was the resurrection and the life. So, allow me a little bit of license here to suspect that here's Simon the leper healed of leprosy, and here is Lazarus raised from the dead. And Mary was there. The disciples were there. And it was a very powerful moment. And do you think that sitting there at that meal, allowing them to celebrate Him, Jesus was not keenly aware that in two days He would be hung on the cross? He knew. He'd read Psalms 22. He wrote Psalms 22. This explains why Mary, Lazarus' sister, came with this alabaster box. Very costly perfume. Can you imagine having a bottle of perfume that was so expensive it represented a year of work? Man, you put that perfume on, you're measuring out half drops. Half sprays. A year's worth of work for the common laborer. There was Lazarus. There was Simon, the healed leper. Uh, no doubt in my mind, Martha was there. Two grateful sisters who had thought that Jesus had forsaken them. And then they found out, no, he didn't forsake us. They thought he was late. They found out, no, he wasn't late. They thought that they didn't matter to him, or that Lazarus didn't matter to him. And they found out, no, 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 he more than mattered to him. They found out that his death was to the glory of God, and Jesus was in control the whole time. And so, uh, and there's the 12 disciples, Judas included. Now, in an act of worship, Mary breaks open this alabaster container, and she walks over to Jesus, and Mark says she poured it on his head. This whole bottle. Now picture, now Jesus was 33 years old or so. He was not a looker. I told you Sunday, he's not a looker. He wasn't handsome. He was not a standout uh, uh, physique or, or physical person. He looked like any Jew. Brown-eyed, black hair, I would imagine, the curly sideburns. What made Jesus stand out was the purity of and the power and the force of his personality and character. And the words that he spoke and the anointing of God that rested on him. Now here he is, black hair, brown eyed, no doubt, olive skinned. He wasn't black, he wasn't white, he wasn't yellow, he was red, he was olive. And she dumps this whole thing on his head and it just goes dripping down. Highly expensive. The Bible says the fragrance begins to fill the room. Now using the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, using the, uh, the other Gospels, John tells us something Mark doesn't tell us. John tells us that not only did she pour it on his head, but she got down on her knees and she poured it on his feet. And she wiped his feet with her hair. crying. This is heavy wor worship, y'all. This is heavy worship. This woman was so moved. When, when, when Jesus came walking up and her brother was in the grave, 
You remember the story. Mary didn't even bother to come out of the house. Martha went bolting out of the house, ran up to Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Typical Martha. But Mary? Mary sat in the house still, the Bible says. And then the Bible says Jesus called for her. And when Jesus called for her, she came out, she said the same thing. If you, hadn't, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? She said, oh, if you'd been here, I know he would have been raised. And I know in the last day he's going to be raised. Jesus said, you don't get it. Quit having just yesterday faith or tomorrow faith. I want you to know that right now in your now, in this hour, I am the resurrection and the life. You're about to see it. They didn't get it. Jesus said, roll away the stone. Well, you know, their brother, and they were a tight family. Brother and two sisters had Jesus for dinner several times. The Bible lets us know. He was a, he was a pretty common visitor. And when he came crawling out of that tomb, walking mummified in grave clothes, having been dead, and, and, and uh, uh, all of the, the typical uh, um, rigor mortis and everything else had been setting in. And he came walking out of there. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And their brother, who they had said goodbye to and had closure with and everything else, came walking out of that tomb and stood up and said, hello, Martha, hello, Mary. It's a new day. I'm going to be one of those rare individuals that dies twice. Then something happened to Mary. Now, Mary was always the worshiper. You understand that. It was Mary that Martha rebuked when Jesus was in their house and Martha was clanging the pots and pans and trying to get the meal together. And Mary was sitting at his feet listening to his words. She was always the worshiper. She was always the one tuned into him. She was always the one that was, that was sensitive to him, listening to him, worshiping him, drawing near to him, seeking him. But she hadn't changed, but this resurrection did something to her. So she said, what can I give him? What can I do that my brother has been restored to me? My miracle. What can I do? What can I do? Here's what I'll do. Lazarus had money. We know he was a man of means. He had money. She went and she got this perfume. Don't know where it came from. He might have given it to her. She might have gone and bought it herself. Mary could have shopped on Rodeo Drive. So she had this. She says, I'm going to go. She says, here's what I can do. I'll waste it on him. I will pour it out on him. I'll not use any of it for myself. I'm not going to just put a drop or two on him. Not going to spray him here and there. I'm going to pour a year's worth of money onto his head. And then I'm going to get down and I'm going to pour it on his feet and I'm going to wash his feet with my hair. Now, when she did this, two attitudes, two states of mind, two kinds of hearts were instantly revealed in that room. 
They were revealed in the presence of worship. And I'm going to tell you, folks, it's the, what I'm about to show you is true for today. You can tell a lot about somebody whether or not they can worship God. Two personalities, two mindsets, two attitudes were revealed in that room immediately. Judas immediately, Judas immediately reacted. And he disingenuously said this. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Well, doesn't that just sound noble? Doesn't that sound lofty? Doesn't that sound like Judas was just a really good good Samaritan, uh, you know, really cared about the poor. He was probably out there in the soup kitchens and everything else just trying to take care of those poor, poor people. John, once again, dives into this uh, scenario and tells us what his observation was. John says Judas cared not for the poor, but he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was in it. I was thinking about this. Even Jesus had a thief in the house. I mean, he had 12 guys, and one of them turned out to be a thief. You know what else occurred to me? You think Jesus didn't know he was taking money out of that deal? You know what it shows me? Judas never had a clue who he was. Because if he had known who he was, he'd have known he didn't have to see him. He told Philip, or Nathaniel, I saw you under the tree. I saw you before I ever saw you. You know what? Jesus saw you before he ever, before you ever met him. He saw you. He watched you. He followed you. He's keenly aware of everything we do, everything we think. Judas obviously had no idea who he was. And he'd been stealing out of, out of the little bank they were carrying around. Judas's heart was filled with greed and not affection for Jesus. And that was immediately revealed in the presence of worship. His greed made him vulnerable to the idea of serving or, or selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. His greed made him vulnerable. Now I want to tell you a little principle. If something is more important to you than Jesus, the devil will find it. The devil will find it. That's why Jesus said, you better seek first the kingdom of God. Where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart will be also. If your heart is in Jesus, you're doing great. But if the enemy is able to lure you off into something that gets a hold of you more than Jesus, he's going to find it and he's going to use it. Judas had a greed problem, and he never crucified it. He watched Jesus walk on water, heal the sick, raise the dead, multiply the fishes and the loaves, preach like no man ever preached. He saw undeniable miracles, but his heart remained hard how can that be well it was it was that's why we need to give him our heart y'all that's why the proverbs say watch over your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life well, y'all can say amen or owe me or something y'all are looking at me like ooh. But Mary illustrates a different reaction. She had a heart of worship, not a heart of greed. She had a heart of worship. This is why I believe men, all you men in here, learn to worship God. Don't be John Wayne when it comes to worship. 
Don't be Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry, when it comes to worship. You men, you need to learn to worship God. Breakthrough came into my life when I learned to worship God and quit worrying about what people thought about it if my hands went up in the air. I was terrified to raise them. I thought it looked sissy, strange, different. But when they finally got up in the air, it was like they became antennas. And, and the power of God hit me in a way that it couldn't because that's a sign of surrender. And so worship is, is, a, is a real differentiator between people. And here, Mary illustrates worship. And, and I can learn some things from her about worship. First of all, Mary remembered to thank him for what he had done. Now that sounds simple. But there were ten lepers that Jesus healed of leprosy. They went walking away from him. Nine of them never returned to thank him for anything. Only one came back and Jesus said, Is there only this one? Didn't I heal ten? Mary had a miracle sitting at the table. But she didn't take the miracle for granted. She said, I'm going to thank him. I'm going to thank him right in front of the miracle. I'm going to thank him right in front of the disciples. I'm going to thank him right in front of the critics. I don't care. I'm going to thank him and worship him with the best that I've got. The second thing I learned from Mary is she gave what cost her something. You know, David said, I'm not going to sacrifice to the Lord my God that which costs me nothing. He's worth our very best. Let me ask you a question. Did God give his very best? Is there anything better that could have come to us than Jesus? You know, God didn't send an angel. He didn't send a cherubim. He didn't send a seraphim. He didn't send a normal human being. God wrapped himself in skin, was born of a virgin, entering into our world, walked among us, felt our pain, taught us how to live, taught us how to die, healed our sick and raised our dead and walked on the water and shook the world and did it all for us. And then in the end, he spilled his God blood so that our sin could be forgiven. Did God withhold the very best? No, there couldn't be any better than Jesus Christ. He is the lover of our soul. He is the Savior of our life. He is our guide even unto death. It is Jesus who came for us. And God cared enough to send the very best. She gave what cost her something. You know what I see here? Love has no cost. No limitations, no parameters. There is nothing love won't do. Nothing was too valuable or more valuable than him. To her, this perfume worth a year's worth of work was nothing compared to him. This is the way she worshiped. I was watching this week. I, I like court TV. I do. You know why? Because it's real. I mean, those are real people going to real jail for real sins, real consequences. I just kind of like to watch it. You know, it's not actors being paid a million dollars to say hello. So I'm watching this one, and this, this man was being interviewed who, who, whose daughter had been in danger, his little girl. And this guy was a crusty old guy, a good old boy, kind of a blue-collar guy. And he wasn't rehearsing this. You could tell this wasn't rehearsed. But he says something to the interviewer. It just came out of his mouth. He said, for her, 
I would die and not think about it. That's when you love. When you would die and not think about it. And you know, it's a blessing to ever love that way even once in your life. Because there you get a little glimpse of God. God loved us so much. He gave His Son, didn't even think about it. Done deal before the foundations of the world were laid. That's love. And every once in a while, we humans who are fallen, we get to experience a little slice of that. And Mary was so moved towards Jesus, this thing meant nothing to her. Nothing. She just poured it out. To Judas, it was waste. To Mary, it was worship. Waste or worship is in the eye of the beholder. Waste or worship is in the eye of the beholder. What looks like waste to one person is worship to another. Somebody may say to you, you're going to church all the time, reading the Bible, praying. You're that strong a Christian. Man, you could do this or you could do that. What a waste. But you respond and you say, no, it's no waste. He gave his life for me. He sent the Holy Ghost to live in my heart. He gave me the word of God. I gladly give him my life. It's no waste to me. It's worship. And then I see her extravagant worship was misunderstood and criticized. And worship, real worship, always comes under criticism. And worship is more than coming into a church and lifting your hands and worshiping God. Real worship is getting up every day and seeking Him. Real worship is getting up every day and following Him. Real worship is going out there into this culture that is so wicked and ungodly and taking a stand for Him. Real worship is when you live for Him and you crucify your flesh for Him and you sacrifice things for Him and you do whatever it takes to walk that narrow path that leads to life. That is the sweet fragrance of worship and it fills the house. Mark records that some of those standing by along with Judas, it wasn't just Judas, but some of the other ones chimed in with Him and criticized her sharply. I was amazed to find that that word criticized comes from a Greek word that's mentioned one time in the New Testament. One time. Here. One time. So I said, well, I've got to find out what it means. The Greek word means to snort with anger. <laughs> that's terrible. Don't put that on the radio. It's to, it's to be so mad, you snort with anger. It means to have indignation. It means to blame or to sigh with chagrin. Oh, man, I can't believe she did that. Ah. This tells me that Judas and company lost it. They blew. They exploded in anger snorted with anger. Here's little Mary, thinking that she was just showing her worship to the Savior for raising her brother and being so good. And suddenly she comes under this harsh, angry criticism. 
Here's the principle. True worship separates the religious from the real. The genuine from the fake. The spiritual from the carnal. I hate to say it, but you can go into some churches in this country on a Sunday morning, if you lift your hands, you begin to worship, they will snort with anger. They'll look at you like you just came in with E.T. on a UFO. What are you doing? You're in church. What are you doing lifting your hands and being this demonstrative with your praise? Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer and worship. But that's what we've declined to. Now, I've learned a long time ago, and I'm, I'm going to close with this, that all that really matters is what God thinks about something. I just, I'm just, you know, in my older age, 54 now, feeling 30, but I'm actually 54. Feeling 30, but I'm actually 54. In my older age, I've seen that the opinion of people is cheap. They're for you one day, again you the next. They're behind you one day, pushing you forward, behind you the next day, stabbing you in the back. Their opinions come and they go, they rise and they fall. And if you live your life to please people, it's over with your walk with God. It's over. You can't be a people pleaser and be a God pleaser. I'm talking about Christians too. Church folk. I was with a bunch of preachers this week. Pastors get together. We just let it all hang out. We talk about stuff. And these, these guys were saying, man, I'll tell you, 99.9% of the persecution I've ever been through has been God's kids. And it's true. Now watch this. All that really mattered in the whole room was the opinion of Jesus. Even though you got people snorting with anger, the only opinion that really mattered was God's. And here's what Jesus said about it. He called it a good work. She has done a good work for me. Number two, he said that she had done what she could. That tells me worship can be individual. She has done what she could. Genuine worship is when you give him what you can as an individual. The poor widow gave two pennies. Jesus looked at it and said she gave more than the rich people because she just gave all she could. She really worshipped when she gave. Mary gave 300 days wages. What she could. What can you give? There are some things you can do, friend. You sitting right there in that chair that somebody else can't do. You got to give what you can. You got to give what you can. What can you give? Well, when I was a teenager and got filled with the Holy Spirit, all that I had was me. And I gave him me. And that's what he really wanted anyway. He didn't want mine, he wanted me. And so you've got you, give him you. Nobody can give him you but you. Give him you. Now, the last thing I see, her worship was intelligent. It was based on what she actually, factually knew. Jesus says she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Can I tell you that this little woman, Mary, had more revelation of who he was than anybody in that room, including the twelve. 
she had more revelation because none of them understood that he was to be crucified for the sins of the world. They didn't get it till after Pentecost. So here she is with a revelation. He's about to be killed. So she not only was pouring the perfume on his head to worship him. Are you ready? She was doing it to say goodbye. She was anointing him for burial. She said, I got your number. You're here to die for me. We worship Jesus intelligently, understanding who he is. I don't lift my hands to an idea. I don't lift my hands to a philosophy. I lift my hands to a living person who is at the right-hand side of God, who ever lives to make intercession for me. I worship a living Savior who's coming back someday soon. He's going to land on the Mount of Olives. It's going to divide in half. He's going to rule this world with a scepter of righteousness. I'm telling you, the time is short. You better lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nearer by the day. That's who I worship. Say with me, her worship was intelligent based on facts. So can we stand together tonight? Let me recap this. Say this with me, can you? True worship remembers to thank, gives what costs something, suffers criticism gladly, and worships intelligently. Father, we're worshiping you tonight. We worship you because you gave your son. And that son is a living son. Right now at the right-hand side of the Father, He ever lives to pray for us. He keeps us every day. His grace hangs on to us and draws us. His Spirit sanctifies us and empowers us. We thank You, Lord, for the living Christ. Can we just lift our hands to Him? Mary poured that perfume. Let's give Him the fragrance of worship from the heart. Jesus said, we know who we worship and what we worship. Ours is an intelligent worship based on facts. When we worship Him this way with hands raised and our hearts raised with them, it is the same fragrance as that perfume filling that room. The fragrance of His Spirit fills the room. It just fills the room where people walk in and sense it. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Yes, Lord.